Hey, everybody. This is Dr. William Clark. I'm so excited to be with you today. This is, uh, I don't even know if we have a podcast name for this thing. We've just been podcasting on CRI's platform. So this is the CRI podcast, whatever it's called, right? And uh, so you guys have been on this journey with us probably six, seven weeks now um, since the quarantines happened. And we've had various guests on this particular podcast, including staff and whatnot, but we have not had this guest on. And we're talking about Rob the Hebert, <laughs> Senior Vice President at Career Resources. Rob, what's going on? How much? How are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm doing okay. Rob and I, we're colleagues. We work together at CRI. Um, and we'll, we'll get into all of that. We do want to cover just a, a couple of things today on this podcast. We wanted this to be kind of... Um, kind of like a, a mini info session, like what's going on at CRI. But Rob, before we get started, just tell us a little bit about you, what you're up to, what, what you're responsible for at CRI. Okay. So it's funny um, that you asked that because just the other night, my wife told, asked me to give her a synopsis of what I do so that when people ask her, she can say, my husband does X, Y, and Z. <laughs> And she thought I could give her a 30 second elevator speech and it just doesn't work like that. No. So, I'll give you the, the most concise and still boring description. Um, under my portfolio as of last year comes um, uh, the, our Strive Initiative across the state, uh, which includes a contracted uh, bit of work with the workplace, um, which is a platform to employment for reentry. I also oversee all of our residential uh, programs, which include 45 male Department of Corrections work release beds and 15 uh, women, female beds for DOC work release. I also supervise the business services unit for the American Job Center Southwest, um, covers uh, the Valley, Bridgeport, and uh, Stanford. That's where we basically engage employers to um, find appropriate placement for um, our job seekers that have come out of uh, WIOA training programs. Also oversee the Fatherhood Initiative for Bridgeport, which is a Department of Social Services funded program where we help um, dads uh, become better dads. Um, uh, also oversee their Returning Citizens Navigator who helps, as it sounds, uh, returning citizens come and navigate through the American Job Center um, system. I also chair the Bridgeport Reentry Collaborative, which is one of 10 reentry councils in the state of Connecticut and in doing so help to coordinate efforts on the outside um, when folks are coming out of Department of Corrections. I think that's about it. I probably missed something, but that's enough for today. Yeah, it's like you got like 10 jobs. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I'm homeschooling uh, three days a week, uh, my seven-year-old. So there's that. And teacher and principal. Get yeah. it. I get it. So we have just a few minutes today um, to really come together and talk. So I, I guess for people who, who are wondering, like our connection, um, Rob, my work falls under Rob's portfolio. And so I spend uh, quite a bit of time working with him, talking with him, collaborating with him. You know, I often find, Rob, I don't know if you noticed that um, it, we rarely disagree. Like there's always... When we talk, there's typically nine out of ten we agree on the same things. Like there's rarely a long discussion about what should be done about this or that. Um, so I find that really interesting since we started working together that there's a lot of like-minded 
strategies that we've come up with to yeah. solve problems? I think some of that is the idea that we don't like to spend too much time in the present because the present should be occupied by line staff that are taking care of the present. Mm. And we kind of keep our mind on what's next. You know, yeah. that's where I'm always at is what's next, because if we're flat footed, we're not ready for what's next. So. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the, the same mindset, and I, but I do recognize that for me, <clears throat> that that can be a challenge, right? Because sometimes the moment is still happening. Mm-hmm. And while I'm thinking about tomorrow, the moment um, can present things that I got to deal with. But I do want to I do want to run down a couple of projects. And we did talk about a few before we went live. But there was one that I really want to start with. This, this, this is the one I'm probably most excited about. And this is the virtual job fairs. Right. So what you're known for, among other things, are doing job fairs like flipping burgers, like you just do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we've had to switch gears uh, as a company to do virtual job fairs. We have since completed two virtual job fairs. Do you, tell us about the virtual job fairs. Tell us about um, the difference between what you've seen between the ones that are live and the ones that are virtual. And then we'll kind of take it from there in terms of like breaking down our experiences. So, so first of all, our funders, um, starting with the workplace in the Southwest and then the Northwest Warforce Investment Board up in the, the Northwest, um, obviously cha- challenged us to you know maintain services right um, you know, during this crazy time. And um, I'll, I'll give you kudos number one because you were already <clears throat> playing with the Zoom platform long before I knew even knew what it was. But we decided to see, you know hey you know let's reach out to employers and see what's going on. Um, let's connect with them. Let's let them know that we're still here to service them in any way that we can. <clears throat> so we settled on, you know, having this sort of this virtual conversation with employers um, and giving them an opportunity to reach out in a way that they really never have had before um, in an interactive way. You know, they've always, you know, you've seen advertisements on TV or what have you, but they've never really had a chance to interact virtually with job seekers. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> we knew that. So we decided we were going to give it a shot. You know, I, I did tell our funders before doing it that we had no idea if it would be successful, but it didn't matter because sitting on our hands was unsuccessful. We knew that to be true. So we went ahead and we recruited our, our folks and um, I wasn't surprised that they were happy to join us um, first in Bridgeport in the Southwest and then up in the Northwest. In fact, I don't know, maybe, you know, you have perspective on it as well because you were the MC for these events, but I found them to be happy and engaged um, and actually appreciative of the opportunity. So I think it's going to probably, um, when COVID-19 goes away, I don't think that the virtual job fair is going to go away. I think it's going to be another menu item <clears throat> for us. Um, yeah. You know, I can see that maybe in the dead of winter when we want to do a job fair, but typically we just don't because it's a stupid time to try to do a job fair because you can't account for weather and, and you know, the jobs are different in the winter than they are in the summer and all that. We can do it now. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, something was birthed out of it. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but the more individualized um, <clears throat> employer spotlight that we're, that, that we just, just started brand new, hot off the press, um, where we take an individual employer and we interview them 
and give them an opportunity to talk about their company's culture and their needs and what it's like to work at a certain place. Yeah. You know, I, you know, one of the things that uh, I think was impressed upon me through this experience was the assurance I felt real time while hosting these job fairs that these are real jobs that are available right now. And that's like the concern I think people have when they come to job fairs that, okay, you're here, but are you really, really hiring? And you can tell that not only through the employer presentations, because you put together this survey that people had to complete and they walk through it. But then after everyone did their walkthrough, then there's like this intentional conversation about, okay, tell me more. How do we know on behalf of our job seekers and clients that this is the real job, what's available? Uh, what are you providing, et cetera. It, over the years that you've been doing this, have you have you ever been able to to confirm at this level of uh, capacity the number of real good jobs that are that are available at any given job fair? No, no. So it's 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 no secret that companies, and I'm not making a judgment on on them at all in any way, but it's no secret that many of them over the years have used a job fair as a form of advertising. Um, so they pay their three or $500, or I think in some cases up to a thousand and not, we've ever charged that much, but um, to go out to a place and set up and, and, you know, advertise, I mean, they hand out candy and mugs and keychains, and, and that's all well and good. But if the intent is for it to be a service for the job seeker, then that, you know, unfortunately doesn't, doesn't work out so well. It has over time left a bad taste in some job seekers mouths here in the virtual job fair setting. They have to talk a lot about what they're looking for and what jobs they need to have filled. It's a lot more challenging for someone to get on a camera in front of you and sell um, something that isn't true because it's there for all time. So yeah, um, to that end, you know, we have had fewer employers on the virtual job fair, but that's because it provided for this filter, right? Yeah. So I, I for one, always prefer quality over quantity. Um, and again, I, so I, I think it's going to, over time, be a good tool for both the job seeker and the employer to have a more yeah. real conversation. You know, so, so the interesting thing about this filter that you're talking about, um, you and I were working on a, a real live job fair for Hartford prior to yeah. Corona. Yeah. And one of the things I kept talking to you about was, you know, this creation of this filter that I wanted because I wanted to particularly in this particular job fair was for returning citizens. And I wanted to make sure that our returning citizens didn't feel like they were being put through this process with no real prospects at the end. And we started working through this filtering process, which which I think now that I reflect on it, had a lot of similar elements to the survey you created. But the difference was it, it was a multi-layered process because it was like a live event yeah. versus in this case, obviously you register, you fill it out and yeah, it's like live. So it was kind of hard to, to fluff your way through it when you're trying to sell yourself to a bunch of people that you have no control over who's coming, who's going to see it, et cetera. Yeah. Again, you know, it's, it's real easy for a company um, to say, I believe in giving second chances. I believe in helping, 
you know, whatever demographic, you know, the, the job fair might be targeting, but it's real different when they got to do it. Um, so yeah, to, to that, to that end, you know, I think going forward as many filters as we can put on and checks and balances as we can put on the participating employers, I think the better off everyone will be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And and I think this kind of leads into this this whole topic of like leading on the front line, right? Like uh, uh, taking our chances uh, with ideas. Uh, I know you're known for that. Uh, I'm pretty comfortable with doing that as well. One of the statements you met you made to me that I've been repeating um, quite often was during this time of this pandemic, this is the time where you'll find out who's who and what's what in terms of leaders in our network, in our community, uh, in our inner circles. And I've been repeating that. Um, as when you made that comment to me, it was really early on, right? Um, it's now almost two months later since that comment was made to me. What, how are you viewing leadership these days um, in your role amongst your circle, amongst your colleagues as things begin to become clearer about what we're dealing with, but yet unsettled? Well, yeah, like I remember that conversation and I've had it with many people, uh, as you can imagine. Um, and I've delivered the same message everywhere. You know, nobody, you know, if you look back historically, you know, nobody's, nobody's sort of gotten well known for their leadership qualities when things are great. Nobody really cares, you know, um, because leadership is easy then. You just kind of show up. And, you know, when you're challenged, um, during difficult times, that's when we find out who you are. You know, you look at great, I mean, historically, you look at great presidents, um, they were the ones in wartime, you know, they were the ones during the depression. They were the ones during, you know, you know historically when, you know, we went through awful times, you know, nobody remembers James Polk. They just don't. They sure as hell remember Abraham Lincoln though. So, you know, I've been trying to make sure people understand that, 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 you know, your supervisors, your superiors, your, your, your leaders are watching you and how you behave and how you operate um, right now. And, and I've been looking around the state and my colleagues, you know, that have really stepped up and have been, you know, kind of the, you know, rocks in their age. I'll, I'll cite a good friend, uh, Beth Hines, at Community Partners in Action, um, she's strong and she is stable, and, and her agency is is better for it. Um, I, our own our own boss here at Career Resources, you know Scott mm-hmm. Wilderman, he jumped out right away and did a lot of bold things that others wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. You know, our, I I would be remiss not to talk about our staff at our residential programs. Fairfield County is the hot spot, right? for for COVID-19 infections, our halfway houses are right in Bridgeport. Um, you know what's happened with the Department of Corrections and their infection rate. And that's where we get our clients from. Our staff have almost 100% have showed up every day. Very, very little complaints. And they're like walking into a fire for very low pay, but very high reward. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it, it's, it's an awful time as people die around us and people get sick, you know, we're losing our mothers and our fathers and our friends and our neighbors, but there's a part of this that's fascinating to me. 
when it comes to, you know, this opportunity to really see leadership being formed around us. Um, so yeah, I, th I think we're going to look back on this and, and remember where our leaders came from. Mm. You know, I, 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 when you said it to me, um, it, it immediately resonated with me that the truth of, of that observation and this kind of leads me to this question, right? When you, when you think about that statement and that thought that you, that you have, what are you doing different these days from a leadership perspective that you haven't done before? And I'm asking this question knowing it's only been two months, things are still weird, nothing is settled, the threat of this thing coming back, and this, you know, the unknown future could adjust who you are six months down the road. But is there anything you've noticed different about your leadership approaches and tactics over the past two months that really stand out to you? Um, that's a strange question coming from you, actually, because I've got to tip my hand a little bit, right? So um, for me, I, I've intentionally taken a step back from my direct reports. Um, some have felt it. Some haven't felt it. Um, because number one, I have to be more available to everybody, so I can't drill down on anybody. Um, number two, to my point that I was just making, this is my opportunity. You know, COVID-19, as awful as it is, has given me an opportunity to stand back and watch how people perform and to see where their deficits lie and where their strengths are. I've taken full advantage of that. Um, and I've been really happy. I know I, 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 like I've just previously said, and I've told you before, you know, my work on a statewide level, seeing other agencies and other supervisors and other vice presidents and other directors and what they have to deal with, I'm real lucky. I have great, great people, you know, working around me. And, and I haven't really had to micromanage anything um, and I've, it's really been great because I've been able to be available to be a support. Because for me, my perspective has always been uh, a, a supervisor or leader isn't somebody who has their thumb on people. It's someone who supports the people that report to them. I should not be a, 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 burden, a burden to you. I should be a support to you. And, and if it's the other way, then we got we to gotta look at it. Because it's, in my opinion, it's not how it should be. You know, a real leader, is, I think, is one who supports those who report to him and not the other way around. Right. Because, I, you know, I, I've been fortunate in my life. I've had a lot of great bosses. Um, you know, you know, actually, you know many of them. Um, Sue Gunderman, who's interim, you know, um, director for the Hartford Welcome Center. Um, amazing person and she taught she taught me that lesson june o'leary who works in the disability office in new britain she taught me the same lesson um and i've gotten a lot of that from 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 our boss currently too yeah, scott yeah you know i'm not going to pontificate about what you said um because i i can um i'll just say that i i agree with you um and i've learned that same lesson over the years and, and i think i think the the the, the lesson that uh that I tend to pass along to people about leadership, it, it really is an inverted pyramid. 
that leader literally is, yes, the tip of the pyramid, but when you turn the pyramid upside down, the leader really serves the masses. He or she serves the many. And uh, when that, as you said, becomes reversed, it becomes problematic. I mean, not only just for the, the staff, but it becomes problematic for the ego of the leader too when, when everything is self-serving. Um, we only have like a few minutes left. So I want to end on like a, a lighter note. Um, so I'm into this fundraising grant writing thing, as everybody might know if they follow my social media. Uh, and we are in the early stages of talking about our Jobtoberfest fundraiser, which timing-wise kind of works out because, you know, we have a chance to kind of deal with it ahead of schedule. A um, couple quick questions. What is Jobtoberfest? Um, what's the history of it, given that you came in at the ground floor of it? And if you can give us some early, uh, give us an early preview of what we're working on for Jobtoberfest this year. So if you don't know, for listeners, if you don't know Career Resources, we are not a stuffy group by any means. We are not the gala type um, organization. Uh, we represent, <laughs> you know, we're workforce development. If anything, you know, we honor Rosie the Riveter more than we, you know, honor some suit, some stuff suit. Um, so no, no, that, no shade, Rob, no, no shade on anybody that's a stuffy suit. No, no, it's just different, different, <laughs> different folks, right? Um, so we chose to sort of honor the people that, that we work for and represent, right? So, um, our, our, you know, Scott Wilderman, our boss, he uh, said, you know, we're going to start doing these fundraisers and we need to have it sort of represent who we are, uh, kind of like the working man, the blue collar, um, no offense to the white collar. But, um, so we came up with the, you know, we want to do it in the fall. So instead of the Oktoberfest theme, we went Jobtoberfest, you know, uh, CRI's mission, you know, to improve the family unit through the dignity of work and all. Um, so we went German theme. We got, um, we secured in our first year one brewery to come in and, and, and pour beers. And we got a really fantastic uh, restaurant to come in and, and, and do German food to, to match. And, um, you know, did some uh, silent auction stuff and some ticket sales and beer glasses and had a, a DJ and a photo booth. And actually the first year we had a band, which was a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I remember. Then, you know, we had a DJ, which was sort of, I think, more, more appropriate. But it was just a good time, you know. It, it, we had a couple of awards that we gave out to recognize some supporters, um, some really great people. Um, Kathy Awad last year comes to mind. Um, forgive me if I can't remember the other ones, but that one sticks with me because she's a great lady. Um, but yeah, you know, it wasn't a stuffy sort of event that you didn't want to come back to. In fact, after the first year, for months after the event, I got quote, when's the next one? When's the next one? You're doing it again, right? You're doing it again, right? Because if you can show up for three, four hours and have a great time, quick hitter in and out and not have to spend a ton of money and support a good organization, why not do it, right? Right. So I'll tell you this year, um, early on, we don't have a lot of information, but um, for the uh, beer connoisseurs who may, who may listen, uh, Career Resources is going to have our very own, our very own, beverage um that's going to be produced by one of the participating breweries so that's really exciting there you go 
So I think there's more information to come um, yeah. relative to that. And um, I'll just leave it at that because we're, we're still working on some concepts there. Rob, this has been great, but too, too short. So we got to do it again. But thanks, man. Part two. Part two. See you, everybody. Take care. Have you ever wondered how large nonprofits consistently generate millions of dollars? Have you ever wondered how to write the perfect grant or how to successfully manage a grant or even how to find money beyond grants? Hi, my name is Dr. William Clark, and I'm the creator and instructor of What You Should Know Before Applying for Grants. This masterclass has over 28 modules of training, and it comes with tools, tips, and tricks on how to generate significant money for your nonprofit. Some students have been fortunate enough to build six-figure programs, and others have been fortunate enough to triple their fundraising results because of this masterclass. Whatever your fundraising goals are, this masterclass can help you achieve them. To register your seat, simply go to mysixfigurefunding.com. That's mysixfigurefunding.com, and you'll be taken immediately into our student portal where you can access all of our trainings. You can take the trainings on demand, at your own pace, and at any time. You even can interact with other students and me all online from the comfort of your home or your office. If you want to secure your seat today for this masterclass, what you should know before applying for grants, simply go to mysixfigurefunding.com. Again, that's mysixfigurefunding.com. And I'm looking forward to learning with you and growing with you as you achieve your fundraising goals for your nonprofit.